Hi, this is Rick Thompson, the pastor at Living Water Community Church. This is our podcast, and I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this message builds your faith and blesses you. Please enjoy it. Good morning and welcome, everybody. Did we enjoy that time of worship and prayer and praise? Come on, it's good to be in God's house, amen? Good to be with God's people and good to also, we want to welcome those who are joining us online. I know there's, a, there's many of you that are still uh, you know, feeling not, this is not the time to get out, but we are socially distancing in the house tonight, in, today I should say. And so my name is Rick Thompson and I'm the pastor here, or one of the pastors here, and we are starting a brand new series that we've entitled The Games People Play. The games people play. And today and over the next few weeks, we're going to be taking a look back at many of the board games that we played and maybe enjoyed and see if there are some life lessons that we as a church family could and should learn, especially in today's environment. And I'll explain as I go. I I said we should because if your family games were anything like our family games, come on, somebody, uh, most of the time they were great. It was a lot of fun, and we left, you know, feeling good. But there were some times when things got tense. Can I get a witness? Anybody? Any, anybody? You know, sometimes things got almost as bad as Real Housewives. Okay, maybe not that bad, but close, because we live in a competitive family. And, uh, and because of that, sometimes things would get heated, and sometimes feelings would, would, would be hurt. And some games, um, some uh, one particular game, I, I just flat out banned it from my house. I banned it from the house. It always ended badly. Matter of fact, we're going to be, I think we're going to be covering that one in this series. We're going to be touching on it. So stay tuned. Now, during and after this series, my hope is that you'll find strategies and biblical truths that will encourage you to pursue uh, higher and, in some cases, more worthwhile things. And or you might decide like we did in the family games, that there are some games, some activities, some things just not worth playing. Anybody anybody with me today? Some things just not worth getting involved with, okay? Which brings me to my first focused board game. The title of this message is Trivial Pursuits, but it's Trivial Pursuit. It's that game. How many have ever played that game? Anyone? All right, there's, like, there's, there's two of us. There's, there's three of us. There's a few of us. Well, this was a very popular game back in the day, and most people uh, play, uh, played it back in the day, and, it, and it's anywhere from two. I originally had two, two to 24 players, but I went back and p- pulled out my old board game, and it said up to 36 players. Don't ask me how 36 people are going to get around one board game, but... That's what it says, two to 36 players at a time. And the stated object of the game was to be the first to correctly answer all the questions in six different categories. And the first person who does that and ends up at the middle uh, of the board to answer the game-winning question, that person wins the game of Trivial Pursuit. And some of the questions, matter of fact, I brought some questions here. It's in tiny, tiny print, so I got to take, take out my glasses. Let's see if you know any of these. All right. How about this one? What city adopted the motto, 
Liaison, Les Bones Temps Roulet. I know I am butchering the language. Or Let the Good Times Roll. New Orleans, that's correct. Yeah, you would advance, you would get your little chip. Yes. All right, how about this one? Who made the debut in the Action Comics number one? Who made, the, who made his debut in the Action Comics number one? Who said that? Who said Superman? Oh, wow, you would be winning this game really quickly. All right, all right, let me see if I can get a stumper for you. What cereal box hero battles bad guys named Magnolia, Bulkhead, and Jean Lafoot, or Jean Lafoot? Who, who said Captain Crunch? Oh, snap. Whoa. All right, one or two more, one or two more. Let's see. All right. Which, oh, this is science. Which two H elements, oh, for those who didn't listen, on, uh, he said Captain, Captain Crunch, right? Is that what you said? Yeah. Captain Crunch, there was Superman in New Orleans. So far, you guys are doing well. Which, which two H elements were the first produced by so-called the Big Bang? Who said what? Oh, snap. Hydrogen and helium. All right, last one, last one. Who are my old Boy Scouts? How many fingers does a Boy Scout extend in a salute? You guys would be doing great. <laughs> Three, that's correct. Now, the thing about this game, once you get into it, how many know it takes hours to go through this game? It takes hours to play it and to win, and the way you win, again, is by having the most information. Some might even say the most useless information. <laughs> In essence, the winner is a variable fountain of useless information except for the game. I mean, you, you didn't know who Superman was and all that other stuff, which I assume is the reason why they came up with the name Trivial Pursuit. Trivial means commonplace of little worth or importance. Pursuit means the act of pursuing an activity that one engages in as a vocation, profession, or an occupation. You put them together, it literally means to spend your time going after things of little worth or importance. Trivial pursuit. Now, if that doesn't generally describe, I think, what happens in the world today, I don't know what does. People absolutely wearing themselves out, chasing after things that in the end just doesn't matter or does it. And if there's a verse in the Bible that speaks to this attitude or this mindset that people go after, I think it's Mark chapter 8, verse 36, Jesus speaking. We know it's Jesus because it's in the red. But it says, Jesus speaking, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me, and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, Jesus' words, adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes into his Father's glory 
with his holy angels. Come on, somebody. Now, I want you to keep this passage in mind because we're going to circle back to this verse again in this series and later on in this message. But let me just point out the pivot or point out what Jesus says about the trivial pursuit explained. Go ahead and put that passage back up there if you can. It says, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? And what can someone give in exchange for their soul? In other words, what are the things that you're wasting your time going after? And then he tells us the pivot is the things that should be a priority, the things that should have eternal value in our lives. He, he says what they are. He says, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with his holy angels. Folks, he's unashamedly telling us that we should be prioritizing our lives and that the priority, the priority of our lives should not be on trivial pursuits. Come on, somebody. And so this morning's message is how do we identify those trivial pursuits? How do we identify them and avoid them. Now, as a background, we're going to go back to Genesis at the, at, of the story of Lot and Abram. It's a very interesting and telling story because I believe this story kind of provides for us a great picture and a contrast between those who will waste their time, their efforts, their energy, their resources, chasing after things that in the end is not going to matter, and those who don't because it gives us two casts of characters. It gives us Abram, and it gives us his nephew, Lot. And I want you to take a look at what went down in their life. It's a quick read, Genesis 13, verse 1 through 18. I'm going to read now. So Abram went up from Egypt to Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and in gold. And the Negev from the Negev, he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier, and where he had first built an altar. Help me out, someone. There Abram, Abram called on the name of the Lord. Does it say that? He called on the name of the Lord. That's a fancy way of saying, there Abram prayed. Verse 5, now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, was also, also had flocks and herds and tents, but the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's herders and Lot's. The Canaanites and the Parasites were also living in the land at that time. And so Abram said to Lot, let's not have any, have any quarreling between you and me or between your herds, herders and mine. For we are close relatives. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. Why are they parting company? To keep the peace. Come on, somebody. Now, sometimes parting company is not such a bad thing if we're going to be able to keep the peace and reduce the arguments and all that sort of nonsense. He says, if you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. 
So Lot looked around and he saw that the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zor was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and he set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tent. Where? Where did he pitch his tent? Near Sodom. Take note of that. Now the people of Sodom, it describes, were wicked and were sinning greatly against who? Against the Lord. All sin, by the way, ultimately is against the Lord because he's the one that sets the standard. Verse 14, the Lord said to Abram after Lot had parted from him, look around from where you are to the north and the south, to the east and the west. Now God is talking to Abram. All the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your, your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I'm giving it to you. So Abram went to live near the great trees of Marm at Hebron, where he pitched his tents. And there he built an altar to the Lord. And so in both cases, Lot and Abram, the scripture uses the term that they pitched their tent somewhere. They camped out, they brought their family, that's where they decided to go. Abram, after prayer, pitched his tent in the future promised land, Canaan. Lot, after his own whatever he did, looked at what was going on, he pitched his tent, the Bible says, near the city of Sodom, who were filled with wicked people. Now, we just, what we just read is a powerful picture and story of how one man, Lot, I believe got caught up in trivial pursuits and how the other man, Abram, avoided it all together and ended up with the blessings of God. Of the two, which would you rather have? Come on, somebody. Someone say the blessing. Look at someone say the blessing. I want the blessings. And, and the two... Uh, those two places that in that passage suggest that Abraham's decision was motivated. We know already when he made his decision, it was motivated by prayer, Genesis 13, 4, where he had first built an altar that there Abraham called on the name of the Lord. Do you believe that God speaks today? Do you think he can guide you? Do you think he can tell you what the best places are to be? I mean, we talked about that last week. He, he's going to lead us to green pastures and still waters. He, 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 the Lord is our shepherd. He knows how to lead his sheep, his sheep. But when Lot was given a choice, it doesn't say that he prayed about it. He just kind of looked around, saw what he thought was the most lush and the most green and the most pleasing to the eye. Be careful of that. Be careful of that. And that's where he went, and that's what he pursued, and that's where he took his family, okay? And so for the next few minutes, I'm going to speak to what our pursuit, when our pursuits become trivial, what it's going to look like. These are the things that happen when our pursuits become trivial. 
Our pursuits become trivial when, number one, write this down, when we choose possessions without perspective. You can even put godly perspective. You've heard me say this over and over again, and I'll say it again. All that glitters is not gold, and all that glitters is not God either. Every good cause is not necessarily a God cause. Come on, somebody. Since we've been on lockdown over the last few weeks or months, there's a lot of folks out there who are all of a sudden, when they come out, <laughs> driving new vehicles. Why are they driving new vehicles? Because the people who are selling cars have figured out how to entice you out there with no money down, 0% interest for the first six months. You don't have to pay anything. You just sign on the dotted line. Boom. And you got your new car. They'll even deliver it to your house. Did you know that? They were delivering it to their houses. Now, somebody asked, well, what was wrong with your old car? I've asked that once or twice to people. What was wrong with the old car? Well, Pastor Rick, it was just time. The deal was too good to pass up. Yes, and too good to be true. You do know that in six months, when six months passes, and it passes fairly quickly, those payments are coming due. Come on, somebody. And, and, what, and those interests are going to go up if you miss a payment. And how long will you be paying on it? Because now they've gone from three years to four years to six to seven to ten years. You've not indebted yourself to that thing. Folks, it's in the small print, and that small print's going to come back to bite you. Well, Pastor Rick, you don't understand. Someone told me this. The salesman was so nice. He was such a nice guy. <laughs> and it just felt right. And besides, someone told me this. If God didn't want me to have it, he would not have allowed it to, to happen. Anyone ever tell you that? They come up with a decision, then they blame it on God. If God didn't want me to have it, he would have stopped my decision. Now, can I just say, God is not going to stop every bonehead decision that we allow ourselves to be talking to. He didn't stop Adam and Eve from reaching out and grabbing the apple. He didn't stop in this text Lot from choosing the place where he chose to go without praying for, about it first. And so we need to be careful about God's going to stop me from making bad decisions because I don't see that anywhere in the Bible. He gives you his word. He gives you his Holy Spirit. But sometimes we bypass his word and we bypass his spirit and we go and we do what we want to do when we want to do it. And then when things fall apart, we blame it on God. And that what Adam did? This is the woman you gave me. It's your fault that I messed up. Be careful of all those apparent ruby red apples of opportunities. Listen to me. And even ideologies that the enemy puts out there for you to bite onto and run with. It looks good, it feels good. Uh, the enemy's whispering in your ear, take it. It's, it's something that's good, but in the end, you take a bite of that thing. 
sweet to going down, but once it gets down there, it's going to cause you problems. Floating around out there, there, there's ideologies that will mess us up. Now, here's my concern with that. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, verse 23, listen, listen. He says, then if anyone tells you, look here, here is the Messiah, or there he is. And in fact, Jesus is asking, answering the questions of his disciples, and Jesus will answer questions. They honestly ask him, what are going to be the signs of the end times? And Jesus answered, if anyone tells you, look, here is the Messiah, or there he is, don't believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will rise up and perform great signs and wonders so as to do what? To do what? To deceive, if possible, who? The world. Help me. Help me. The people that don't know Jesus. Help me, somebody. Who is the deception going to even pull in? Come on. God. Who's that? The church, the church. And so Jesus puts out a warning. He says in the last days, there's going to be a powerful deception to pull people off, to follow someone who claims to be him. And he says it will even pull off the very elect, one translation said. I used to think, God, how is that even possible? How is, the, how is this system or this person or this mindset going to come and even deceive the very elect? And then, I, and, then, and then I woke up to certain realities in our world. Philippians 2, 9 through 11, let me explain. It says, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, speaking of Jesus, and gave him the name that is above, help me, help me, every name, that at the name of Jesus, what's going to happen? Every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is what? Is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so the Bible says at some point, the revelation of who Jesus is will come to the entire world. And they're going to have to acknowledge, every knee will have to acknowledge that he's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, that he's Christ the Messiah. But in the meantime, we're in the in-between time. Now let me ask you something. While we're in this in-between time, does God force anyone to bow his knee to him? Let me ask it again. Does God force anyone to bow his knee to him? He says, come willingly. Come willingly. There will be a time when they will have to acknowledge but we're not at that time. So God causes, causes no one. Now listen to me. The Bible says, though, listen, that we ought to bow to Christ and Christ alone. Come on, somebody. 
Did you hear me? We are to bow to Christ and Christ alone. Listen real close. And so if there is an entity, an ideology, an individual that's compelling you to bow in order to become a part of their little club or to show allegiance to them and you do it, you better check your theology because you are now under deception because Christ requires no one to bow except to him. Come on, somebody. I'm hearing pretty vile things as we're living in these, I call it, dangerous times. Statements like, you're not a real Christian. Someone sent me that in. You're not a real Christian unless you bow to a particular organization or movement. It was sent to me. I have it on my email. You're not a Christian unless you buy into the bowing Listen to me. That's games people play. And if you are bowed to that, you are bowed to a false messiah. God compels us not to bow to any man or any angel. Bowing is a position of submission and worship. And we're called to worship him and him alone. Come on, somebody. It's why the three Hebrew children came up against the system. You remember them? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the king who erected the 90-foot statue compelled everyone to bow to the image of, of, because he declared himself. And if you don't bow, we're going to kill you. And everybody, at the sound of the timbers and the, and the lairs, at a certain time of the day, everyone in the kingdom was required to bow. And when everyone went down, there were three Hebrew children that stood there. And it enraged the king. How dare you not bow, sir? If you don't bow, we're going to kill you. And they said, sir, we are compelled to bow to no man except our except except their God. Amen? And they said, even, <laughs> no matter what you do to me, king, even if it costs me our lives, we are not going to bow to your idols. Come on, somebody. Genesis 13.10. Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zor was well watered like the like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed <laughs> Sodom and Gomorrah. Now again, when Lot looked up, immediately his eyes fell on a particular area, and it was well watered, it was green, it was, it was close, it was convenient. There was really only one problem with it. <laughs> it was located right in the heart of Sodom and Gomorrah. Anybody familiar with those two cities? Cities that were on a collision course with the judgment of God. Does God judge? God would never do that. Read your Bibles. 
They were on a collision course with the judgment of God because the sin that was rampant and taking place in it was happening all the time. Two cities that were about to be wiped from the face of the planet. That's where Lot decided to pitch his tent, bring his family and everything he owned and his entire entourage. Genesis 13, 11, so Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east, and the two men parted company. So Lot's first mistake to falling into trivial pursuits was to go after possessions without proper perspective. In other words, Lot was walking by sight and not by faith. He was not trusting in the Holy Spirit. He was going by what pleased his flesh. Come on, somebody. In fact, he gave absolutely no thought, according to the text, of consulting a higher perspective. We've learned him as Jehovah Roy, Roy, right? The one who sees it all. How many of you know that God has a perspective that we don't have? That's why he calls us to prayerfully make decisions. Because all we can do is what's in front of us, and we, get, we, we become reactive, we become emotional, and then we have a hard time seeing what's going on above the scenes. Jesus said, or, or, or Paul says in the Scripture, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities and ruling spirits in high places. And so, but there's nothing higher than God. So he can look down even at the high places and tell you what's motivating something or someone. He can tell you what to avoid or where to avoid. Amen? Amen? He, like many of us, allow ourselves to get convinced, convinced that the path that we're on is the right one. Our pursuits become trivial when we choose possessions over proper perspective. Let me give you the second way out. Pursuits become trivial. When we compromise for convenience reasons, write that down. When we compromise for convenience reasons, Genesis 13, 12, Abram lived in the land of Canaan while Lot lived among the cities of the plain, and he pitched his tents near Sodom, and now the people of Sodom are wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. Again, how did a nice guy like Lot end up in a place like that? Anyone ever asked that question about people? How does a nice person like that end up in a situation that has apparently gone so horribly wrong in their lives? Sometimes we ask that question of ourselves. How did I get here? How did I get in this situation? How did I get in, in this circumstance? When I started out over here, how do I end up over here? I think of people like Whitney Houston who started out in the church and ended up drowning in her own. Come on, somebody. And she's not the only one. How do I get from here to there? How did I get there? Again, this place was so close, it was convenient. It was a place that he thought his family could be content and comfortable and fit in. In other words, this was a place of compromise. And James, the, the writer of James, uh, James tells us exactly how we start that spiritual slide in our lives. James chapter 1, verse 13, look at it. When tempted, it says, no one should say, God is tempting me. 
For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Let's take God out of the picture altogether. God, why'd you do this to me? He didn't. He's not in the business of tempting his children to do evil. But each person is tempted when they're dragged away, help me somebody, by their own evil desires and entices. Does it say the devil made me do it? You're not going to be able to blame it on the devil. It says you're dragged away when your own evil desires, by your own evil desires and enticed. In other words, you think about it all, all, all the time, and then all of a sudden, then after desire has conceived, because you've been thinking about it and thinking about it, and you've been desiring it, it's like uh, it gives birth to sin. It's, my, my, my son said the other day that he ended up at an ice cream place because on his app it showed a mango-flavored something popped up. And all of a sudden, that thing was in his mind. And then he said, hmm, let's take the family. We got a phone call. We're all going to go to such and such an ice cream place. Can we go there? It wasn't Jackson's. <laughs> but he ended up there. And as he was getting that ice cream, he said, he heard the person behind him in line. He said, yeah, I'm here for that same thing. It just kind of popped up in my thing. And when it popped up in his phone, it planted in his mind. And when it planted in his mind, it just kept thinking, hmm, that might be a good thing to do. And next thing you know, it, his feet was taking him to where his mind had conceived it. Come on, somebody. Somebody needs to understand how this thing works. So when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, listen to me, when it is full grown, gives birth to what? To death. So understand the progression. Desire gives birth to sin, and sin gives birth to death. Well, Pastor Rick, I mean, I haven't died. Nothing has died. No, no. Something is dying. Your reputation is dying. Your desire to follow after the things of the Lord is dying. A relationship, because you got caught up in something you shouldn't have gotten caught up in, is dying. The progression is always the same. It starts here. We don't take authority over it when it's small, and then all of a sudden it's here, and then that starts to grow, and then when that grows, it gives birth to acting out, sinning, and when you sin, he says, eventually that thing is going to lead to death. So, and in many cases, it's not a quick fall. It's a slow slide at first incremental, but then it picks up speed as it goes along. Where in your life, this is my question to you, where in your life and in your heart have you begun that slippery slide of compromise? Reminded me of, was it last year? Was it last year, two years? When you've been locked up in your house for months, the days just kind of run together. 
but we managed to go on a trip of a lifetime. My son was in the Air Force, and he was getting out, and he said, we're in Europe. This is your last opportunity to go to Europe on the cheap because we don't have to pay for hotels and anything along those lines. And so we went. We found ourselves in the Swiss Alps, which was awesome. It was actually nail-biting because I had to drive up in those mountains at nighttime in the snow, and I'm a Florida boy. I was praying in the Holy Ghost the whole time. But when we finally got, I got the torch to my man. My nose again, a little shot toward the end, the last half hour. I said, Ricky, you've got to take over this thing because I've been driving for hours. He did. We made it up there. And we went to this place. It was absolutely beautiful. We decided that we were going to go skiing. Never been skiing. Never been skiing. And so this was going to be, you know, awesome. This was going to be a good opportunity. And, of course, if you've never been skiing, they want to start you out on the bunny slopes. And so we decided, Deb and I, wisely, we decided that we, do you want to pay for, for instructions? And we said, yeah, let's play because I, I'm not interested in wiping out the whole time. But my son said, no, nah, we don't need that. And so while we were off getting instructions on how to stand up on these skis, <laughs> my son, I love you, Ricky, had convinced his family, this, it's just a bunny slope. And you grab that rope and you grab on. And that thing pulls you up the bunny slope. Now, the bunny slope, even though they call it a bunny slope, is ice, really. And my daughter-in-law, Tati, grabbed that rope, and she followed up that hill. And it pulled and pulled and pulled and pulled, and she climbed that hill. And then at some point, she let go. And what went up must come down. And as we were at the bottom of that hill, all of a sudden, my wife and I looked up. <laughs> we said, oh, snap. That's Tati. And you could see it. You could see it. Now, mind you, she had not taken any lessons. And she didn't know how to stop up there. And she didn't know how to slow down. But she had committed. And she let go of the rope. And she started out slow. And then all of a sudden, she is flying down the bunny slope. <laughs> I'm like, oh, my goodness, Deborah, that's Tati. Now, to her credit, she just talked and went with it. <laughs> As she got closer and closer, and she's going straight down, and she is flying. By the time she gets to the end, we're like, this is not going to end well. And when she got to the bottom of that thing, <laughs> I owe you money, Tati. This is my thing. Whenever I use any of my family as an illustration, I owe them money. But she wiped out at the bottom. I'm like, oh, my goodness. Got up with bruises. It wasn't a pretty sight. The people who owned the place came running out. What are you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> Very upset because she could have run into people, but she didn't. 
And then they offered her free lessons. Come on, somebody. But I said all that to say this. It's a slippery slope. And as you're going down that road, the end is going to be disastrous, potentially. Because once this thing picks up steam in your life, it's very hard to stop. And the scripture tells us what it's going to be. When it's fully grown and fully blown and moving in a particular direction, it's going to lead to death. Your sin gets you to say, I know it's wrong, but. But it's not that bad. Everyone's doing it. I like this one. It's legal now. Almost. And it all just seems so right. What did you say? It all just what? There we go with that verse again. Proverbs 14, 12. Read it out loud with me. One, two, three, go. There is a way that seems right to a man. But in the end, is a way of death. When we pursue trivial pursuits, we will compromise. We will choose compromise for convenience reasons. Let me give you the last and final one. We choose what I call candy over contentment. Candy over contentment. And again, that's that greener pasture syndrome that I told you about. Pastor Rick, you don't understand where I'm at. I'm just not happy. So I got to move. I'm not happy in my current situation. I'm not happy with my job, my wife, my husband. I'm not happy with my church. And when I look across the fence, when I look across the way, it's, it's a green, it's, the grass is greener. I know I'll be happier in that relationship, in that job with a different person in a different church if I could just get that. And once I'm there, I know I'll be happy. I know I will be. If pastor would just stop preaching messages on sin, I know I will be happy. And repentance and personal responsibility. Anyone ever met that? Met someone like that? The grass is greener mentality, so they're constantly moving. I call them spiritual butterflies fluttering all over the place, going in 10 different directions, getting nowhere, chasing happiness, true love, convinced that it's just beyond the rainbow, or they've got the Disney mindset, <laughs> I've lost the love over here, and so <laughs> I can figure out my true love. It, what, what does Disney say? It's, it's, in, it's, it's in his kiss. Isn't that what Disney says? But once they get there, they realize there ain't working either. So instead of stopping, they just keep going around and around. They keep rolling the dice. They keep hoping to discover the meaning of life. They, uh, 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 and, and deep down, you know that you've just been playing a game of spiritual, trivial pursuits, going around and around. And at what cost? 
at what cost? Possessions without perspective, compromise for convenience sake, a sugar high of candy over contentment. Folks, if your life becomes just pleasure-seeking, just eating candy, how many know you're going to make yourself sick? You can make yourself sick spiritually as well. Those of us who are familiar with Lot's story, we know how it ends for Lot. We know in Genesis 18, it speaks of what takes place because of his poor choices. Proverbs 14, 12 came to bear. Again, there was a way that seemed right, but it ended with death. And Genesis 18 gives us an incredible story of Abraham getting a visit from the Lord and two angels. And in that meeting, the Lord informed Abraham that Sodom and Gomorrah were about to be judged and condemned. And Abraham knew that his nephew Lot and family were there, and so he tries to intercede and reason for the family as the two angels went off to the city to see what's going on. And he talks to the Lord, Lord, if you can find 50 people, 50 righteous people, would you, would you condemn a whole city if, if there was 50 righteous people? And the Lord says, I will not condemn it if there's 50 people. And then Abraham thought, okay, okay, maybe. What about if there's 40 people? Could you, could you find 40 people? Would you not condemn it? I will not condemn it if I find 40. What? So, sorry, Lord, sorry, Lord. What about if you could find like 30? And he goes all the way down to 10. And the Lord says, if I can find 10 righteous people in that whole town, I will not condemn it. And he says, okay, okay, I got the number down sufficiently. And then the Bible says the next day when Abraham woke up, he looked over the horizon and the cities were burning. God could not find 10 righteous people. In fact, even in delivering Lot, and I know the Bible declares that Lot was, righteous Lot was delivered from the city. If you don't know the story, the angels went down to the city because the, the, the evilness of the city was coming up to the Lord according to the scripture. And they went down to see for themselves. And Lot was in the city gate when they came, and he properly greeted them. He says, why don't you come stay at my house? And the angel said that he didn't know they were angels. How I many you know that sometimes we entertain angels unaware? Come on. He says, no, we're going to stay in the city, in the city uh, uh, courtyard tonight. He says, no, no, you can't do that. <laughs> and so the angel said, okay, I'll go with you. Read the story when you get a chance. Incredible story. And as they went into, the, went into his house, the scripture says the men of that city literally surrounded that house and demanded that Lot take these men out because they wanted to have relations with them. They were trying to rape the angels. Yeah, read it. And Lot, righteous Lot, decides, no, please, no evil like that. These men are under my protection. He offers up his daughters. Take my daughters. They're virgins. 
And they said, no, if you don't do it, we're going to do to you worse than what we do to them. And they became crazed. The angels reached in, pulled them back out, blinded them. He said, grab your family now. Is there anyone relative in this city? This city is going up in smoke. Pick up the story. In Genesis chapter 19, verse 15. And when the angels, even with them coming, God agrees to save Lot. And even though they were in imminent danger, Lot, so-called righteous Lot, still had trouble letting go. Genesis 19:15. And when the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. And while he lingered, the men took hold of his hand and his wife's hand and the hands of his two daughters. And the Lord, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. And so it came to pass when they had brought them outside, then he said, escape for your life. Do not look, look behind you, nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains, lest you be destroyed. And you remember the story. He said, we can't make it that far. Please take us to the small, the small town. He allowed them to go. We're not going to destroy that small town. But when things started to drop, they said, don't look back. Keep going. But what happened to his wife? His wife looked back. Now, mind you, how many people got saved from that city? He negotiated down to 10. It was Lot and his two daughters. God could not find any righteous people. And let me just tell you something. Let me give you a clue. I think they were saved only because Abraham interceded for them. Listen to me. Because the Bible says there is none righteous. No, not one. And the person who says they've not sinned is a liar and the truth is not in him. And so my question to you this morning is our, our, our pursuits become trivial when we choose possession without perspective, compromise for convenience sake, and candy over contentment. But how do we avoid going after these things? Full circle. Jesus gave us the answer. Mark chapter 8, verse 36. He said, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes into his Father's glory with the holy angels. Folks, we need to make a priority of what Christ and his, and, and his word in our life. We need to lift up the banner of Jesus, even and especially if it goes counter-culture. Come on, somebody. There are people who will jump on things, and they will even twist Scripture to justify their behavior. I've had, it, I've had people try it on me. To get you to involve, to get you involved in things that seem good, 
nice, red, delicious. But it's not God. It's not God. Because God requires us to only bow to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Come on. And if we don't make him a priority, he says, even the very elect are going to be deceived. If you don't make getting close to the Lord, and I'm not talking about holding to a form of godliness. We got enough of that going on. I go to church. Where do you go to church? First this or first that. I go to Calvary this or this or that. I got my church card. How many of you know your church card ain't going to get you into heaven? It's only a relationship with Christ, a real relationship with Christ. He says in the last days they will hold to a form of godliness, but they will deny the power thereof. Jesus says, you know, Lord, Lord, he says, I, I never knew you. I, I don't even know who you are. He did all those things. He said, I don't even know who you are because he didn't know you. The, the, the great shepherd didn't know who you were. And at the end of the day, he says, if that's going to be your pursuit, things over a relationship with me. He says, if you're ashamed of me on this earth, he said, the heavenly father one day is going to be ashamed of you. If you can't acknowledge me, you don't know him here? He says, I'm not going to know you when we, come, when we come into our own. I'm not ashamed to say Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Amen? I'm not ashamed. If you're not ashamed, come on, raise your hand. If you're not ashamed, you're not ashamed, put your hand up there. We are Christ followers above all else. Above all else, we're Christ followers. That's the banner we march under. One flock and one shepherd. No apologies. One flock and one shepherd. And Jesus is the shepherd. The pastor is the under-shepherd. I'm not the shepherd. Jesus is the shepherd. Amen? He's the one that every pastor should be pointing their people to. Pastors never saved anybody. Jesus put it all out there. He's the good shepherd that laid down his life for the sheep. He's the one that we owe everything to. I've said this before, and if he does not one more thing for us, he's done enough. Amen? Because what he's done was purchase salvation for every single one of us. The promise of eternal life to every single one of us who would just believe. Repent and believe and come into a real relationship with him. If you follow the crowd, you're going to bow to false idols and ideologies in your life. That's why the scripture said, choose you this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, We're going to serve the Lord and him and him alone. Amen? So as we come to the end of our service today, today it would be my privilege and my honor to just to lead you in a prayer of commitment to him and allowing him to be your Savior and your Lord and pressing in to get to know him 
folks, when I say we serve a risen Savior, I'm not just saying that. He's alive. He wants to talk with us by his Holy Spirit. He will lead us. And it sounds completely ridiculous to the world. In fact, the scripture says the preaching of the gospel is foolishness to the world, to those who are wise in their own mind. But it's the very power of God and the salvation to those of us who are being saved. And it takes a revelation from God. That's what Jesus said to Peter. He said, Peter, who do men say that I am? He says, you are the Christ." Son of the living God, Messiah. He said, flesh and blood has not revealed that to you, Peter, but my heavenly Father. If you are here today and you understand from a heart level that Christ is the Messiah, God revealed that to you because he wants you to be in relationship. If you are surrounded by people who don't know him, pray for them because the Bible makes it very clear that we all have an eternal soul, eternal spirit that's going to live forever somewhere. When God breathed, when God breathed, inside of us is an eternal spirit that's going to live forever somewhere. You've got the God breath in you, and he gives us a choice. One man's sin caused sin to flow to everyone. One man's act of righteousness, Jesus, the last Adam, offers salvation for everyone who will believe everyone who will become born again not of flesh and blood but of the spirit and then you start to walk in the spirit and then he starts revealing you the sons and daughters of God to God be the glory and I'm talking spiritual things, and I know they're not, they're spiritually discerned. And so if you don't get what I'm saying, listen, it's okay. My prayer is that you will one day. But it starts by humbling your heart and acknowledging that just like the angels, and I don't think, I mean, God condemned Sodom and Gomorrah for their wickedness. I think we can apply that same standard <laughs> you know, to almost any place. Can you find 50 righteous? I'm not going to condemn it if there's 50. 40, 30, 10. If you can find, you know, can, will you not do I won't. The truth of the matter is there's none righteous. No, not one. Everybody needs Jesus. Can I say it again? Everybody needs Jesus. We need Christ. And so if that's you, and you've not yet accepted Christ, it would be my privilege and my honor to lead you in a prayer of commitment to him. Not religion, but a relationship with Christ. It starts with humbling your heart. Let's pray. Say something like this. Heavenly Father, I come before you today. I, I acknowledge that I am one of the ones that have acted unrighteously even not knowingly knowingly and unknowingly I am a sinner and I desperately need a savior and I believe in my heart that you are my Christ and my Messiah today I put my trust completely in you 
for the forgiveness of my sins and the salvation of my soul. Thank you for dying on the cross 2,000 years ago and, and three days later raising from the dead. I thank you for the promise of your scriptures, your word that says that because you live, you are the first fruit, the first to be raised from the dead. But because you live, we shall live as well. We thank you, Lord, that you called us all, not into trivial pursuits, but pursuits of righteousness, pursuits of a godly plan for our lives. And today I submit myself to following you. Now with every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe during the preaching of this message, God checked you in your spirit. The Holy Spirit checked you. You are involved in trivial pursuits. You are making decisions not by spiritual things, but by sight. You are pursuing things the wrong way, and you know it in your life that there was a thing, things going on. Bring that to the altar today. Ask God to forgive you. Ask him to give you discernment. I don't want any one of our flock to be caught up in the deceptions that the enemy is going to be putting on this earth. Jesus said, do not follow after them, because even the very elect will be deceived. Say, Lord, help me to get to know you and to see you and to hear you. I Forgive me for getting involved with stuff. Forgive me for for pitching my tent close to it as well. And if you are involved in stuff that you know in your heart is sin, let it not take an angel to come and grab you and drag you away from these things so that death doesn't come. And it may not be a physical death, but I promise you something's going to die. It always does when sin becomes fully grown in our lives and in our hearts. And so, Father, we create an altar right now, even here and in our living rooms, and we, we say sorry, forgive us, cleanse us. I plead the blood of Christ. I thank you for shedding your blood for every single one of my sins. Jesus' name, I pray. And we all say, Amen. Thank you so very much for listening to this message. We hope you were truly blessed. If you were, please subscribe to our podcast if you haven't already and share it with a friend. Doing so will cause the seeds of God's word and the message of his love to spread like wildfire. So thanks again for partnering with us in this important way. Stay thirsty for Christ, my friends, until the whole world hears. God bless.